Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. I am recording this on Christmas Day, so it's 10.40 a.m. right now, and I'm all alone today, which is not a bad thing. I actually celebrated Christmas a couple weeks ago on December 9th with my siblings, and we did it early because by now my brother was going to be out of the country visiting his girlfriend, and so yeah, that's why we did it early. And I have a lot of things I've wanted to talk about, but I've been trying to focus on the LSAT, so I haven't had the time to record those podcasts, so we'll have to take it in bite-sized pieces. But what I want to talk about today, I think is really interesting. It's a 2022 year in review. And rather than the social media way of doing it, which is you piece together a bunch of videos and clips of all the cool places you've been to and all the things you've done, all the parties you've been to. I don't like that because for regular people like me, and most of us live regular lives, it sets you up for failure and disappointment in your own life because you're comparing to these big social media influencers who have these grand, lavish parties they're invited to by all these brands, you know, vacation resorts, huge groups of friends that all look happy. So it makes me look at my life and discredit it, discredit my own progress, usually because the progress I have is within my own head, self-improvement. And if I am improving physically in a way you can see, it's still usually confined within a single city. So rather than doing it that way, the way I want to do my year in review is about how you've grown. And through that, I mean three things. A, how has your lifestyle changed? And sometimes that's a mix of what you've done, but that's also just a question of how has what you've done been taken into your day-to-day life? Because a good telltale sign that you have not grown and not changed is that everything about your lifestyle is the exact same that it was before. Now, it might have been fine before, but it just means you didn't improve. And if we go internally for a bit, let's talk about what you've learned, lessons you've learned through the year. And then finally, how have these two things manifested into a change into who you've become? How have you changed on the inside as a person? So I'll go ahead and get started. I would say overall, if I were to summarize 2022 for me, It was a lot of depression (laughs) and it all started in 2020. I've talked about before. I've just been depressed ever since COVID. So walking into 2022, I was still a shell of who I was before the pandemic. But what was interesting was I didn't realize it at the time, but part of the reason it kept prolonging this depression, even though I was keeping myself busy, was I was actually in this awkward limbo of transitioning in between phases of life. And sometimes it just takes time for those things to unfold. If you imagine a rose, you know how the bud opens up and all the petals come apart. It was like just starting to unfold because I've already been a year, basically two years into the pandemic and depressed. And even though I was depressed, I was working on myself and navigating this depression and adapting and changing and growing from the pandemic. And so basically I was maturing in a way that The person who I used to be, even though I missed that person, it wasn't the person I wanted to go back to being. So I was a shell of who I was, but the old person, the old shell wasn't where I wanted to go back to. In fact, I was in this awkward 
limbo of not having a home in terms of my sense of self. My sense of self being my personality, just who I was, my values, and my goals. And so 2022 for me was a lot of inner work around this, around the unfolding process, which is partially it unfolding on its own, but partially me pushing it to unfold because I was doing the work, doing the work about learning what motivates me at the same time, adjusting to the new changes on who I was becoming. But all in all, I have to say it was a transformative year because I did change a lot. I started this year being 30 years old, and for most of this year, I was 30. I turned 31 in October, and 30 was a little anticlimactic because, you know, you walk into your 30s thinking, ah, new start of my life, new chapter, and it just felt like the slow beginning. Still depressed, not much changed, but that started to pick up speed in my, you know, 30 and a half, and then really picking up full steam around 31. So now I do feel like I'm in a position to start busting down the door of the new chapter of my life. That's just kind of an overview. So that brings me to my next topic. What have I learned in 2022? Well, the first thing I've learned a lot about is myself, especially all as it culminates into who I am, my sense of self, what I want in life, and what causes my depression. For a long time, I didn't even admit I had depression because I didn't think I had. I was so productive. You know, I'm still making calls at work. I hated it, but I was still one of the top reps. It was only until one day it hit me, whoa, I think I'm depressed. I think this is me on depression. I think me on depression is still very highly functional. And that's why I couldn't tell. And I don't look like I'm depressed. But it makes sense that I would be because all these goals I had in life, I couldn't care a single bit about. I couldn't wake up and get out of bed. Like suddenly nothing I wanted in the past connected with me anymore. And then I also felt lost in my career. So at the beginning of 2022, I was unemployed because I had quit my super toxic Elastin job and I was taking a sabbatical, you know, just to cool off. And that sabbatical you would think is super nice because I would have all the time in the world, but I actually didn't really do very well in it. And that's another thing that helped me realize and learn about myself because I'd never done this before, that I actually do better when I have a job. I like having structure. It helps me wake up in the morning. When I don't have that, again, I get isolated. I You would think I have all the time in the world, but I end up just sitting on the couch all day. And then I started thinking about, okay, what do I want to do next? What's my next job? Do I want to go back to sales? Because I had gotten an offer for a filler job. I was going to sell fillers. And to be honest, it sounded really interesting because it's still in the aesthetics world and the company culture was a lot more blunt than the bitchy catty culture I came from. So... I thought this is the best of both worlds. I can still be in the aesthetics industry, but with a boss who actually talks the way I do. But the reason I didn't ultimately take that job is I, again, wanted to take time off and I realized I would still be calling on the same clients, the same bitchy, insecure office managers and nurse injectors. And so, yeah, I didn't take that job. So then the question was, okay, I'm still lost in what do I want to do. I don't want to go back to HCM. I don't want to go back to SAS. It killed me inside to think about it. 
what do I want to do? Do I want to go into real estate? Or now's a good time to start my business. And I thought of all these things. And some of the things that I learned in doing these thought experiments were that I really like hunting. As hard as hunting is because you have to cold call, it's harder for me to not hunt. It's harder for me to have to hold my tongue and have to worry about being nice to a broker or some COI partner and make sure they like me. That gives me way more anxiety because I have less control versus just hunting. And then another thing I learned about myself job-wise was I want a side hustle. For a long time in my career at ADP, I didn't want a side hustle because I thought I already spend so much time and energy on ADP itself to do well. I might as well just put that time into ADP. Why divvy up my attention and try to do a side hustle on the side? But one of the things I ended up doing this year was I took a job at a gym because back then I was thinking that maybe I could just take an easy job just to pay my bills and then study for the LSAT full time. So I did that. I worked at Equinox and I'll talk about that in a second. But when I ended up getting a sales job again, because turns out it doesn't pay the bills, <laughs> I kept the Equinox job on the weekends. And the reason I did that was because it actually wasn't that hard to have a part-time job. And I actually really enjoyed it because again, it adds structure to my weekends. Because after Friday at 5 p.m., normally what do people do? They just chill at home or they go out and have drinks, you know? And if I'm not going out and having drinks, which I'm usually not, then I'm usually sitting at home trying to transition out of work mindset, but I'm not doing a great job of it. So really my whole Friday afternoon gets eaten up by a lack of productivity and me just sitting there trying to do something fun, but not really being present in it. When I go immediately from my job on Friday sales to my part-time job on Friday evening, I instantly have to get out of work mindset. So it's the most efficient and quick way to get out of work mindset. It was so lovely. And again, you're making money at the same time. And also Saturday morning, Sunday morning, rather than sleeping the hell in and then just lazy, snoozing, overeating for breakfast, I have to be at work. So whether it's a part-time job or some sort of side hustles, little business, selling products or eBooks or my own coaching, I don't know. I do definitely plan to have a side hustle once I get my LSAT in order and continue that through law school. Another thing I learned about myself outside of career was a lot of the trauma and PTSD. Prior to this, I actually, for most of my life, did not want to talk about it. I felt like I was totally fine. I didn't think I had baggage because look at how successful I am. And so I had vowed never to revisit the past because there's no point in crying about it. So there's no point in talking about it. And that all changed because I decided to apply for law school and I had to start writing a personal statement. And that personal statement, in order to write a good story, I had to delve into my past again. And the same thing happened with CASA. In order for me to go through CASA training, a lot of it was going to remind me of my past. Because of those two things, I was forced to just face it. And, oh, wow, it was a big can of worms, right? It was, it was like a toy chest that was full of toys, only not fun toys, and it just burst open and now I had a bunch of shit on the floor. So that put me in definitely a difficult area, dark time, but I had to fish through those feelings and I learned a lot about myself and learning about PTSD and how a lot of who I am is actually shaped by my trauma. And the other few things I've learned are about people. 
So throughout the year, I continue to be surprised by just how insecure, unreliable, and overall disappointing people are. A lot of people say they want things, but they don't actually do it. Like, for example, I created a group for a bunch of people to study the LSAT together. And so many people messaged me and said, this is great. This is exactly what I've wanted. I've always wanted to find virtual friends online to study together and commiserate together. And yet they flake on me and they bail on our study sessions and they never participate. So, yeah, people are very disappointing. (laughs) This is something that I have not wanted to believe for a while. And I still have my hesitance because I feel like it's such a negative point of view. But I'm starting to really force slash allow myself to believe this, that a lot of people say they want things, but they don't act on it. And so they're kind of just, you know, just mediocre people in that sense, in the sense of self-development and ambition. The other things I've learned about people came from my gym job. At my gym job, I interacted with a lot of male coworkers, and the standout memories were from all the men. So basically, I've learned that A, I do not like dog men. So dog men are those ones that are like just totally at the whim of a woman who shows some cleavage. Totally at the whim of a girl who wears leggings with the seam, you know, so it looks like it shows her butt crack. One of my coworkers was like that, and he seemed like a confident dude, but he was the kind of guy, if a girl walked in just with a sports bra on, he would, you know, be like, mmm, purse his lips, be like, oh yeah, Jessica's so fine. And just, you know, I know he meant it as a joke, but it kind of wasn't a joke because. He just couldn't contain himself. And so what I don't like about that and why I'm calling them dogmen is, first of all, you're acting like a dog. Second of all, it just takes a lot of power out of your hands and makes you a slave to any woman who decides to show a little bit of skin. And I guess I think that's kind of pathetic. For me, it's about have some composure, have some discipline. Uh, So that's the first thing. I don't like guys like that. I had never met a guy like that. And now that I have, I can safely say I do look down on them. Another thing I realized is that married men continue to flirt and develop crushes on me. That's something I didn't want to believe, but started to, you know, gather data points throughout my time at ADP that a lot of the attention I would get are from people in relationships. And sometimes it was genuine, like they would genuinely grow feelings for me. Either they're not loyal or their relationship's not in a good place. But I guess it's it was a truth I had to accept as a woman that just because they're married really doesn't mean anything. I really don't want to believe that, but like I had a coworker who was super weird around me, like super sometimes he got a little embarrassed. Like, yeah, he was definitely flirting and attracted to me. And I had to shut him down. Like he wanted to see my Instagram because I pole dance and I deleted a lot of photos before I added him. And he kept being like, oh, I want to see, I want to see what were those photos. And I was like, nothing a married man needs to see. And then he stopped. And the third thing I learned was, well, two more things. I met a coworker who was, he's a young boy, but 
very narcissistic, very gaslighty. I'd never met someone who was to that degree. And so it caught me off guard and I couldn't put my finger on why I felt uncomfortable around him. And then once I did put my finger on, oh, he likes control. He likes to, he gaslights you. That's why he talks faster and talks over you. And he makes you feel like you're crazy. Once I realized that, like, good. Now I can file that away into my encyclopedia of people. And that has helped my friend already with a situation she had, because now I had that data point, I could help her with it. And then the last data point I gathered was there's this nice young kid, a lot of them were young, you know, the ones in maintenance from Michigan. And he seemed like a cool dude who liked to learn a lot. You know, he talked about taking classes in college just because he wanted to learn OCHEM, philosophy. And then I realized the motherfucker gets C's in these classes. So I'm like, do you really like to learn or do you just like the idea and feeling of learning by sitting in a class, but you don't actually do the hard work to think about the hard things in philosophy, to think and do the hard work in OCHEM. So you like taking the class and signing up for it, but you don't actually come out with an A or a B, you get a C. And if you ask him philosophical questions, he seems like really enthusiastic to talk to you about it. But he breaks down after two levels of follow-up questions. And so that was another good thing for me to file into my encyclopedia. On the outside, I, he looked really like a cool person. Like, wow, we can talk about a lot of big things. And then I realized he just likes cosplaying as a deep thinker. That's what he does. So those are some of the things I've learned throughout the year about myself and about other people. How has my lifestyle changed since then? This is the fun one. So first and foremost, huge change, I decided to go to law school. This is huge. I'll share the story of how this happened. So, you know, in my feeling lost of not sure what I wanted to do next, thinking I might become a realtor, but then, you know, kind of not really feeling it too, I was taking a lot of personality tests to guide me, and I took Jordan Peterson's test, which is called Understand Myself. It's 10 bucks. Highly recommend it. What I love about his test is that he doesn't tell you what you are. He also goes a level further and tells you why you are that way. So one of the big standout characteristics about me is that I'm at the 100th percentile of disagreeableness. Now, you may not see that every day because I do understand enough that some people and in some environments, I can't say the things I want to say. But at my best and in my truest, it's like how I was at ADP. I love asking questions. I love challenging people. I love when someone challenges me. I love getting in heated arguments just for the sake of debating who's right so that it's in the search of truth. I love that. And so with me being disagreeable, it made me realize I really need to find a job that allows me to be as disagreeable as possible. Because if these are my strengths and these strengths are what allow me to cold call and be less afraid of the phone than other people are, then I need to continue to find a place where this trait will be celebrated and allow me to shine. And so that was the basis of our conversation. And Riley and I were talking and she was worried that real estate sounds very agreeable. You have to buy gifts for people. You have to just be a, you know, a relationship person. That turned me off quite a bit, to be honest. And so we were just thinking. And that's when she goes, wait, Ariel, why are you not a lawyer? <laughs> but she realizes that and she's like thinking aloud, oh my God, why have I never thought about this? Ariel, why am I just realizing this now? And so we started talking about law. 
we overcame my objection because I told her, I was like, I kind of thought about that, but I immediately rejected it because I figured I was too old. But we massaged the idea. I looked into it. A lot of it felt right. And so here I am. Since then, my lifestyle has changed a lot because I have been studying for the LSAT. I have been working on my essays. I've been attending a lot of webinars. I go on Etsy and search law stuff. It's so funny. There's this hilarious shirt called Live Love Lawsuit, which I love because I hate that fluffy live, laugh, love stuff. So Live Laugh Lawsuit is right up my alley. And yeah, so I would say that's a big change in my lifestyle. Another big change in my lifestyle is me living my life the way I used to as a teenager. I don't think I ended up publishing this episode yet, so I'll have to revisit it. But the basis of it is, is realizing the simpler time and the simpler life we lived before social media. And it's best summarized by this. Back before social media, what I would do is I would study a lot. And anytime I wasn't studying, I would take a break and go on Tumblr and look at the blogs that I was following. Or I would YouTube or Google artists that I liked and just see if anything new popped up since my last Google search. So I was still using the internet, but I wasn't being shown things. I was pointedly searching for things I already knew I liked. And those things are, you know, funneling into my own goals in some way, my own passions. So to summarize it, it's basically as a teenager, all of my attention was focused on my own goals and my own hobbies and interests. Versus today, which is spending a lot of that attention focusing on the goals of others. And so part of this came from me trying to cope with my depression and realizing that I was happier when I lived like I did as a teenager. And I've continued to feel that way, you know, less social media. We all know that. But what do you replace it with? Well, you replace it with my old hobbies, my old interests, my own beauty interests getting creative again, taking photos with my brother again, starting this podcast, like doing things that are not only away from social media, but interestingly enough, a little nostalgic, you know, me looking back at old hobbies and old interests that I focused more on before social media pulled me away. It's got that nostalgia feeling. And as a result, it's got that warm and fuzzy feeling like, ah, it's cozy again, like you're coming home for Christmas. So that's been nice. And another thing I started to do in place of social media is play games. So I have been playing Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon is a game where it's on Nintendo Switch and it used to be on Game Boy. Game Boy Advance is what I played it on. And it's just a farming game. And so you can tell it's got the nostalgia aspect because it's something I used to play as a kid. Automatically puts me at peace because of that. But also as I play this game, I'm building my own thing. Granted, not pragmatic, nothing in the real world, but it's I'm building my own farm. So again, that's me putting my attention towards something that goes to me as opposed to social media and looking at other people. Another thing that's changed is plants. I did not have a single plant during my time in Total Source. I had just gotten two plants in the latter half of last year. And other than that, I had no life in my house. I didn't have a pet and I didn't even have a plant. And when I got those plants, I realized I really like the green, you know, the green against the windowsill, the light coming in. It's really cute. I didn't think I cared for having green because I'm not a boho type of person, but this was really cute. I ended up getting a lot more plants. They all did really well in the summer. I was hanging them up in cute little planters from the ceiling. It was really nice. Um, They have since not done well. Many of them have since died, 
partially because winter and my apartment's really dark, partially because my cats keep harassing them. But the point is, I saw the light and I'll get back there soon. And then that brings me to my next topic, cats. I have two cats now. You can imagine my life is very different now that I'm a cat mom. I have cat trees. I buy cat things. It's a big part of my mind share. My camera roll is filled with pictures of my cat in his cute little sleeping positions. And before I got two cats, I only had one cat. I ended up getting a second one because he was driving me nuts. So it hasn't been all great, but it was a huge lifestyle change in the aspect of responsibility. Because again, I came in with this hard charging mentality of, I don't really like pets because they just spend your money, but they don't do anything. So unless it's a guard dog that's going to protect me, pets are kind of useless. I kind of still feel that way about my big cat. (laughs) He's not very helpful. My little cat's cute though. My little cat definitely gives me oxytocin. But I have to say a big adjustment from that very selfish-minded lifestyle was the responsibility. I had to come home at a certain time now to make sure they were fed. I couldn't just take off for the weekend. And I had to care about them like they were my kids, know them well enough to know when they're not feeling well, notice their bowel movements and any changes there. And I do think it's a good warm up to having kids, which is another thing that my pets changed about me. Prior to this, I was very no about kids. I just felt like for me personally, I just felt like I could do more good in the world by using my money towards helping many people mentoring many people and building schools as opposed to sinking millions of dollars into one kid. But when I got my first cat, Apollo, it was so cute to see him look out the window. You know, he would be on his back two paws and his front two paws would be on the windowsill. And he's the size of a toddler. He's, he's a pretty big cat. So it was really cute. And And just those little moments of watching him look out the window and just spending a quiet afternoon with him it really wedged open my heart just a tiny bit to be open to the idea that maybe down the line I might have kids. So that's been a big change in my emotional world. Another thing that's changed about my lifestyle that's been pretty big is I decorated my house. Well, my apartment. I always was on the mindset. I just wanted to buy the cheaper thing. I would buy the table that's in a brown color or a black color because it was 20 bucks cheaper than the white one or things like that. And I just figured it's superfluous to try to buy cute things because to be honest, after a while, you don't notice it anyway. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still noticing that 21 inch screen on my computer as my monitor. I don't notice anything else. So I was all about function and not aesthetics because I felt that aesthetics took away from function. And when it came to having cats, I had things set up in a way that was so optimal for them and their happiness. They like to climb things, so I would have them in the middle of my living room. But it got to a point where my house looked really fucking ugly. I had just random piles of stuff and kind of garbage, you know, cardboard boxes and things that I could throw away. But I knew they liked to play with them, so I would leave it out instead. And I had to admit and listen to that quiet voice inside me that I was not happy. And it was really detracting from my happiness to see these ugly, brown, mismatched things. So I put money and time into 
changing things out, getting them in a color scheme, a matching color scheme, making sure I wasn't just buying things that I thought were cute separately, but would be cute together too. That's a big part. And my mental health has improved. And that led me to accept the truth that I really am impacted heavily by visuals, which again is something that seems so superficial almost. So I didn't want to admit it, but I really am impacted by the visuals of a city. I really did not like San Jose. I'm impacted by the visuals of a home, how cozy and pink and cute and feminine mine looks makes me happy, and the aesthetics of a lifestyle. And so moving forward, I've actually been very intentional about only buying cute things nowadays, cute things that match the rest of my house. So I'll give you an example. I bought this pencil pouch and it's a pink pencil pouch. It's two layers. So I was so happy getting this in the mail. I just kept hugging it and holding it and clutching it in my arms. And to this day, I still love it. It sits on my desk. My highlighters look so cute in it. It works well and it's a good color. So I have to admit, these cute things do really bring me joy. And it's in my best mental health interest to keep buying these things. So yeah, you can imagine that's a big change from just buying whatever, black from Best Buy, to no, I'm going to make sure I spend a little bit more to get the pink one. Another big change about my lifestyle was my gym identity. I'm not super consistent about it yet, but overall I would say I definitely have that gym, gym bro-ish kind of mentality as part of my identity now. Gym life, protein, stretching. I know people who wouldn't say that, like the gym is not part of their life and part of who they are, but I can definitely say it is part of mine now. I really enjoyed learning to deadlift, to squat. I like the experience of going to the gym. So yeah, a new piece of identity I didn't have last year. Another lifestyle change is that I'm more involved in volunteer work now. So CASA is a big part of that. I also continued to get gifts for foster youth this year. And I kind of want to take it to the next level. I might even start fundraising so it's not just me. I can pull together a lot of people's money and make a bigger difference. And so I can definitely see myself fundraising in law school too. So that's part of who I am and what I do now. I've generally for most of my life not been a volunteer person because I've operated with so much scarcity in my own refrigerator. I felt no nothing to give to other people. But foster youth is one cause I can get behind easily. Another lifestyle change is I'm a lot more frugal now. After being unemployed for two stints this year, during my sabbatical and then when I got randomly fired, I had to really hunker down on my finances. And through that, I realized, oh, I'm actually a lot more peaceful when I am frugal. And that brings me to the last pillar of what I wanted to talk about, which is how have you changed on the inside? Who have I become differently as a person? Because I talked about all the ways that my life looks different, but internally, how's that manifested in my personality and my identity? Well, I talked about getting back into things that used to make me happy, so I'm being more creative again. You kind of got the hint that I am more curious about people I, the data points I mentioned about the coworkers at my gym are all because I now have a new incentive and interest in understanding people. Not because I actually care about them, but because it'll help me when I become a trial lawyer to read my jury very quickly. And so the more data points I have on people, obviously the better I'll be. 
so I'm more interested in people. Another big change was my 31st birthday. So I felt the sense of mortality because I'm now only nine years until the age that my mom was diagnosed with cancer, eight or nine. And so I feel, yeah, I feel like I'm living on borrowed time and the clock is ticking. And that made me realize and accept that I am tired of dimming my light. I'm tired of not saying what I actually think because ever since I was very successful academically, think about it. As a kid, you skip four grades. Everyone around you has not skipped four grades. Like the difference was there, right? And so I felt like I had to compensate and make myself super humble. Lest I say anything, then I sound like a really arrogant person. That's why I would hide the fact that I skipped four grades rather than just saying, yeah, I skipped four grades. Because to me, it felt like, and you can understand why it would feel like, anytime I said that and admitted what I've done, I'm declaring that I'm better than you. And that humility was also part cultural. And it just kind of went way too far the other way. And it continued up until today. Like I knew that I had the potential to be incredibly intimidating and I didn't want to repel people. So when I was 18 and I was at Stanford, I made this decision that I would act cute and small and just totally different so that, again, I was hiding who I actually was and in an effort to not make people feel bad about themselves. And I continue to this day, there are some people who say some dumb ass shit in my poll class and I don't shut them down because... I feel like if I were to say something, it would squash them entirely in a split second. And secondly, I just don't know how people would react because a lot of them are like soft and like nice people. And I don't know if I would have any friends after that. And that kind of brings me to the other point. I just don't have a middle ground. I, I need to work on that. Like I need to find a way to say what I say, want to say without obliterating people maybe like a, a healthy middle ground or like a three quarters ground of three quarters my way, one fourth a little bit nicer. But the point is, I'm sick of dimming my light because it's not working anyway. People at Alast and people at HealthJoy, people around are still insecure, even though I'm not even trying to do anything. Somehow people that interact with me still know I'm smart and they lash at me accordingly. And I've never been one to fight back mainly because of culture. I felt like I was stripped of any sense of speaking up for myself, not only as an Asian person, but as an Asian girl, a small Asian girl. And that leads a lot of people to just, you know, take advantage, put their hands on me whenever they want to. And rather than me speaking up and setting boundaries, it would be me absorbing the negativity and just dealing with it on my own while they continue to live on without repercussions. So people talk about taking the high road, but I don't feel like taking the high road right now. I feel like fighting back. When people throw stones at me, I want to throw stones back. Now that might sound childish, and it might be. And that's because I never had that phase in my life or my childhood, which is probably when most people deal with this, where I do throw stones back or I do fight back. And usually people do that, and then they get to a point where they realize, okay, it's not worth it for me anymore. I'm going to walk away instead. But I was never given that experience to grow into that. Instead, I was fast-tracked into don't talk back. It's not worth it. But again, that wasn't even from a place of it's not worth your time. It was from a place of more passivity. So there's two parts to this. I'm tired of dimming my light. 
Watch out 2023. I'm going to start to be very authentic for who I am. And if someone tries to attack me, I'm not going to be shy to attack back. So the next time my pole friend or teacher says that, I think you just haven't forgiven your dad. Because think, look at me. I call my parents and my parents beat me so hard. I'm not going to shy away and say, that is extremely rude. That is extremely bold for someone who doesn't know me well. And to be frank, Jade, you are projecting onto me. And I'll tell you why. And the final change is that I am not really interested in self-development anymore. I had done that a lot in my mid-20s when I was at ADP. It was about, you know, dream building, closing your eyes and ignoring other people's expectations. What would you want your life to look like? What's your morning routine for maximum efficiency? All these types of things. And this past year, because a lot of it was inner work and a lot of it was trauma, I realized that those self-development things are so shallow. They're helpful for if you just need a little nudge or a kick in the butt, but they're not helpful if if you have deep-rooted trauma. And so they just don't go deep enough. That's why you need a psychologist. And so part of it was being disenchanted with it. Part of it was also feeling like it wasn't bringing me anything new because I had done the reading for all of them. So I knew mostly everything that people were saying. But I do think beginning next year, I'm slowly easing back into it because, you know, the superficial motivation can be nice. And what I also feel and summarize this past year and couple years has been, you know, that phrase where you have to break it down before you can build it back up. That was my past few years. And so these past two years, 2020, 2021, were me navigating this funk that I knew I felt, but navigating it very slowly because I wasn't sure what was going on. I was also navigating the newness of COVID and with baby steps, understanding what I'm like, what I've lost and recalibrating accordingly after recalibrating, taking a few baby steps forward, sideways, maybe backwards, like after doing that. And then feeling like I was truly dismantled in 2022, I feel like I've gathered enough knowledge about myself, what I need to start picking myself back up and moving forward. So it's a very exciting place for me to end and continue because here on out for this next short period of my life is about rebuilding the pieces, the core pieces of what has lasted through the past few years, because not everything's lasted. I'm no longer a hard-charging SBS rep anymore. That's changed. But the pieces that did last, how do I want to rebuild them into this 2.0 me? What does 2.0 me look like? And it's a very exciting thing to ask. So next year, as far as mental health goes, I want to be tackling the concept of self-love, something I have zero of, and perfectionism, which goes hand in hand with judgment. I'm a very judgmental person of others, but even more so of myself. And it's, it's just killing me. It's killing me in terms of how hard I drive myself and how disappointed I am in people. So I want to tackle that. I feel finally ready to tackle that. And overall, my life next year will be about taking back my life from the depression, rebuilding it, and Lastly, and very, very importantly, next year, the sole goal is to get into law school. Next year is all about law school applications. Take my LSAT, finish my essays, get everything lined up, and press submit next October. 
thank you for listening. This went a little longer than I expected, but hopefully this was interesting to you either to give you a new way to look about your own year or maybe this is something you already do, which is great. Would love to hear how all of your years went and what your goals are for next year. I'll probably be texting you. (laughs) So thank you for listening. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. This is me post-editing. I just realized I left out a very important lesson I learned. And this is such a big deal for me that I'm just going to put it in here. I am now on board and able to add happy faces to emails if it makes the other person feel better. So a little bit about me. Whenever I write emails, especially in the workplace or just adult stuff, you know, I am very serious in my emails and I don't feel the need to put smiley faces or exclamations. And occasionally you bump into mostly women, but sometimes guys who need smiley faces and exclamation points and just like friendly greetings and salutations in their emails. I wouldn't include those things and you would see them just get all ruffled and not want to work with me. And my total source boss would always recommend add some smiley faces, adjust the way you write to get what you want. But in my head, I was so stubborn and stuck on the idea that I shouldn't have to do this because you guys are being stupid. And I am now totally on board with that idea. I am willing to add all the smiley faces you need, even though I'm typing it with a very straight face and I could not give a fuck if it makes you do what I need. Something changed. And I think what it was was the company I'm about to join, I had to interview with the implementation manager. And one of the things I asked her was, what is one thing that sales reps do that you wish we would stop doing? And she goes, oh, that's a great question. I was like, thank you very much. And she says, salespeople tend to be very blunt and they forget that the people in implementation and customer service are not that personality. And so when you just forward emails or copy and paste emails to the client without any context or any hello, smiley face or anything, it can result in their hurt feelings. And what I loved about what she said is she 100% called out everything I do and everything ADP reps were trained to do. We just forward shit over to implementation and we hate on them for not doing their job right. And for me, I wonder why the hell you need so many smiley faces to just do your job. And so when she reminded me that there's a reason these people chose to be in customer service and not in sales. And I look in the mirror, there's a reason why I'm in sales and not in customer service. So it's not that they're bad or inferior. They would be as sales reps. They'd be horrible sales reps, but they are just different and they're in roles that allow their personalities to shine. I mean, I knew that they weren't the same as sales reps, but I kind of held them to that same standard because I figured corporate America is corporate America. But just her saying that made me realize, oh, they're not inferior. They're just different and better in other skills. And that allowed me to see them again as equals again, as opposed to looking down at them. And yeah, now I'm totally fine with sending us many smiley faces as you need. Bye.